In today's conversation about mindfulness for athletes, I chat with Fraser Carson. Fraser is a lecturer in sports coaching while also running Melbourne Endurance Sports Hypnosis. He has over 15 years delivering coach education and psychological skills training to high-performance athletes and coaches. He currently provides psychological support for Deakin Melbourne Boomers. He has previously been employed as performance psychologist, providing mental skills training with a number of professional teams, coaches and athletes. He has a strong research background with a number of publications in performance psychology, mental toughness, well-being, stress and coping. In today's conversation, we talk about the integral element of performance, which is mindfulness. We talk about how to integrate mindfulness into an athlete's daily training environment with very simple strategies, creating calm, focus, how to manage pain or difficult sensations. We chat about making this approach useful, meaningful, but also personalizing it to what works for you and not trying to conform to ideas or just doing what you might have been told to do and helping you explore alternatives to mindfulness and developing a personalized approach. Happy listening. You've done all the right things. You followed the program, but you're tired and the results are hard to come by. You know there has to be a better way. Perhaps you're struggling to put the puzzle pieces together from training, recovery, nutrition, gut health, to hormone health and optimal wellness. Each season on Healing Grumpy Athletes podcast, your host, Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance, will help put the puzzle pieces together and ensure you can achieve and express your athletic potential holistically. Katie is a self-confessed hormone nerd, endurance coach, wellness advocate, and triathlete, here to educate, inspire, and distill wisdom in an effort to shift up endurance norms. Grab yourself an almond latte, a herbal tea, or perhaps a red wine to focus your mind and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Healing the Grumpy Athletes podcast. I have Fraser Carson here. He is a psychologist specializing in athletes, and we're going to talk all things mindfulness. Welcome, Fraser. Thanks, Katie. Looking forward to it. Yes, us too. And, you know, it's probably not the most exciting topic that comes to mind for a lot of athletes so I certainly want to make sure that athletes don't switch off and go mindfulness this again (laughs) we want to spice it up hopefully make it more interesting for uh, athletes to understand that mindfulness doesn't have to fit that um, traditional picture or perhaps preconceived idea that you have to sit for an hour with your legs crossed burning candles and incense yeah, it's probably it's probably part of a bigger kind of psychological skills training program. That's how I see it, uh, and it's all kind of just allowing your mind to be focused and being able to do some more stuff. We we spend a huge amount of time as athletes, and uh, particularly in endurance sports, doing more and more kilometers or doing an extra session, uh, doing more physical kind of stuff. We'd actually not spend a huge amount of time training minds. And, uh, we know as well from all our research around. Uh, any kind of mental skills do we know there's a, a 75% physical training practice to a 25% mental practice is gives us the best result in, in learning skills but how many of us actually spend 25% of our time thinking about it planning either visualizing or doing some kind of mental cognitive kind of rehearsal um, as part of their training program I said very pretty very few of us yeah that's super interesting I hadn't heard that statistic before um 
to me it absolutely makes sense but it certainly highlights that it would be a rarity that that's in someone's program and plan Uh, for some it might come naturally and others don't really consider it until they perhaps come up against hurdles so how would you recommend integrating some mindfulness or psychological skills into an athlete program so it does meet that sort of 25 percent yeah, it's quite a simple thing to, to get started with. And that's what I say with all the athletes I work with, it's normally giving them kind of 10 to 15 minutes uh, a day or every second day. Uh, and that might be just doing some visualisation of performance or kind of uh, cognitively, cognitively planning and thinking about what they're doing. Um, so you've got a race coming up, so just even thinking about your kind of different kind of targets, different kind of objectives, how you deal with different circumstances. Well, if I get a puncture, what happens? If my lace breaks as I'm putting my shoes on, well, what are the different kind of strategies I can actually do about that? Um, the thing with, I suppose, specifically looking at mindfulness, everyone thinks about mindfulness as if they probably think of those colouring books and that you sit down and you spend hours. For me, I really hate that kind of idea um, because it's it's not actually mindfulness. It's kind of taking you away. The the, the concept of, of mindfulness is much more around the kind of self regulation. So making yourself aware of the current scenarios and what's going on, um, and just being absorbed in what you're doing. So it's not, um, I suppose, not um, worrying you, or, or, or you're able to deal with things much more effectively. Uh, and I said, simple strategies in terms of being able to, and I said, even 10 to 15 minutes a day, just being aware of what you're doing uh, is a really good strategy to help with that. Yeah, so if we're putting that into a, like an athlete's day, <clears throat> I'm thinking of a couple of scenarios like it could be uh, on their commute to work uh, that they can strategically visualise their, their race day while they're doing that activity. It doesn't have to be that they sit down it's like right you're doing 15 minutes of visualization they can integrate it into their day yeah yeah we, we all do well particularly things like visualization we do it all the time daydreaming is a form of visualization the, yeah. the difference is that is what we try to do is being able to structure and control what we're doing. Uh, um so yeah finding somewhere it's quiet you're not going to get distracted kind of help with that but you're right in terms of yeah, driving your car just being aware of just kind of even like the sensations in your body starting to, to think about noticing all those different kind of things around you can you imagine the feel of your shoes and your feet and things like that can you actually get the senses that, that come through um and then as you said you can spend more specific time doing it i normally athletes i work with I kind of recommend I said 10 to 15 minutes and i normally say just before you go to bed mm. because that's normally a quiet relaxed time for a lot of people, even when you get into bed for the first kind of 10 minutes, just actually kind of thinking about it, or others uh, actually like to do it first thing in the morning. So when they wake up, just even before they get up, or as they go for a shower, they can actually just, just start to think about kind of what's the feel, how do I feel to myself, um, how I kind of recognize the different kind of things going on, how do I deal with certain, different, certain situations, or what's my day going to look like. Yeah. And so... Uh, mindfulness might it's a bit of a blurry topic really like what is mindfulness exactly well this is it's probably a combination of a number of different kind of skills and that's probably where it gets a bit confusing Uh, Mm. so a lot of it around as I said just being aware of of your personal scenario so your personal situation that you're in at that time uh, starting to think about uh, being focused on what you want to do and what you want to achieve um, and being probably being more conscious and doing things more consciously um, 
So making those choices, what, what it is. So we go to the fridge, we open up the fridge door, and we look, a lot of people just put their hand in, they'll take something out. But it's actually maybe at that moment in time, just spending a couple of seconds going, what do I actually want? Am I actually hungry? Do I need food nutrition-wise, or is it actually that I'm thirsty? Yeah. So just making those kind of thought process and, and, and decisions that we have has been... That's more, much more about that kind of mindfulness idea. Uh, and then I think it builds a number of other kind of skills that helps manage stress, increase confidence, um, give us a kind of general well-being as well. So obviously we, we know as well people who are, are more relaxed from a, a mental health perspective and well-being perspective, they'll generally sleep better, which then gives lots of other physical benefits that go with it, um, are able to deal with scenarios much more effectively, generally much more open in their communication with others. Mm. So yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a complex kind of mixture of different kind of components um but yeah it's probably best way to describe it's just being self-aware of what you're doing yeah i'm picturing it uh say in a training scenario if we're relating mindfulness to that it's being in the moment with how it feels or what you're doing um rather than having your head up in the clouds of what am I going to eat after this session or um what's my day look like or worrying about life it's uh, how does my pedal stroke feel? What are my feet doing? What are my legs doing? Uh, am I, are my quads burning? What does that feel like? And pulling attention to that. Or uh, what does my cadence feel like? Where are my traps at? And it's just this centered focus of how the body feels. And it's understandable that athletes want to steer away from potentially uncomfortable feelings, right? Because training isn't always comfortable. Yeah. And so how does mindfulness help an athlete, say, embrace the pain or the discomfort at times? Yeah, it's kind of really interesting. There's actually some research out there around marathon runners particularly, and, and they're saying kind of your recreational marathon runners use mindfulness as a way of kind of distracting themselves. So counting trees, uh, thinking about other things or designing houses, all those kind of different <laughs> processes to actually kind of take themselves away just to, for that distracting. But then the elite level athletes actually use all those symptoms that you start talking about, start thinking about what's my stride length like, what's my breathing patterns like, where am I feeling that kind of fatigue, and they're actually able to analyze the body system as ways of helping their actual performance. So I actually start thinking about, well, I'm, I'm, oh, my, my cadence or my, my stride length particularly is getting shorter while I'm running. And actually, I can then use a bit of kind of mindfulness work or kind of just even cognitively thinking, oh, I need to maintain my knee lift. And that's one of the ways I can actually increase my um, stride length. And so it's just little kind of strategies. Being, and so it's an interesting kind of difference between in a sense, in the research in, in the elite level athletes and those ones who've been very successful marathon runners in terms of Olympic Games and, and uh, world record kind of activities, um, they use as I said they use those symptoms as, as a driving force. And um, I think one of the things that we need to be aware of is our mind gives up much much more quickly than our, our body will do physically, and so a lot of us use fatigue um, or kind of any kind of pain and things like that going on as a sign that we need to stop what we're doing. Mm. Uh, but actually, it's a lot of cases, it's a sign that we're about to reach our maximum potential. Uh, so if we realize and we recognize those symptoms before they occur or as they occur, it allows us, we can use them as a, as a spark or a drive to, to kind of push forward and actually to drive through those kind of things. And what most people actually find by doing that, you actually will be able to push through it and being able to then clearly distinguish between that kind of pain that you can put 
push through and the pain that might actually cause an injury. Yeah, damage. That's such a great way to reframe a a positive relationship with pain. It's that this pain or discomfort, maybe discomfort because pain probably indicates an an injury. So discomfort uh, is an opportunity to realise your potential uh, because I certainly see that all the time. It's um, athletes, say, might get to the end of a race and when we debrief and they're like, at the time I was really hurting and I was really pushing and I, I thought I was at my limit but in hindsight I gave myself an out like I didn't step above when I could have and I'm disappointed about that um so how would you go about helping an athlete train for that mentally I mean well, I said we know very very little in terms of as athletes in terms of helping to develop any of the kind of mental skills and it's being able to, yeah, to kind of push yourself being able to sort of recognize some of those kind of ideas that you kind of go through uh being able to bring in kind of key positive words or, or phrases that mean something that's important to you and that could be something specific to do with your technique or it might just be something that just resonates with you or a it might be a song lyric or a line from a movie or something that just makes you feel that kind of in that kind of circumstance, it's feeling strong, feeling in control, uh, feeling a lot more confident about what you do. Um, I spend a lot of time working with some of these kind of with athletes using a bit of hypnosis to do that as well. Mm. We're able to embed um, those kind of suggestions before they happen, uh, and so we know certain things will happen in races uh, or activities. So, for a marathon runner, we'll know at some stage you'll see a 30 kilometer marker post. So, what we can actually do is by embedding uh, kind of process and start thinking. So when you see that 30 kilometers to go or gone, and uh, you get that kind of uh, kind of positive kind of confidence, feelings of control, a kind of a surge of positive energy that kind of help you, kind of in- encourage you to go through it. Um, but it's something that said you, you need to be aware of when these things are happening. Uh, as you said, looking back on, on races and kind of saying, oh yeah, maybe I, I could have pushed myself there. Well, next time in that story, yes, I'm hurting a little bit. Can you actually just push yourself that little bit more? Uh, so just very slow and incremental uh, kind of developments. And said, how often do we see uh, people staggering up absolutely nothing physically left when they cross the line? It's very, very few occasions. That's so true. Um, so there's always something left that our, our body can give. Uh, so it's just being able to give yourself that kind of trust that you can recognise, well, these things are, are, are fatiguing me or there's a lot of kind of negative thoughts going on. Well, actually, I can use those as a way of enhancing my concentration and focusing maybe on the, the technical components or, um, as I said, that, that positive keyword or, or phrase that runs through your through your mind as a way of, I can actually do this or, yeah. Yeah, I've been always been a lyric kind of person, so it's interesting you say that. I... Um on my bottles and on my bike in Ironman, for example, each um, fuel bottle or drink bottle, I'd written different lyrics because that, and they meant something to me and then they started off a thought process so it kept me engaged and focused over 180 Ks, which can be a, a long day. It's this constant stimulus that brought me back to certain positive moments or reminded me of why when you're getting distracted of, oh God, I have so far to go or this is hard or I'm not where I want to be or so-and-so passed me and I don't want them to pass me and it just brings you back to your own um, self. Um, yeah. Or a bit of singing is always a little bit of fun too, so lyrics in the, in the head ain't so bad. Yeah, particularly in what we do, there's, you're, only, you're kind of competing against yourself. Okay? It doesn't, you can't control what anyone else is doing on that day, so mm-hmm. it, it is about yeah, just said, identifying something that's going to be really useful for you. Actually, spent a bit of time slightly different what we're talking about, but uh, talking to a perfumist 
So, and she was talking about sense and mm. about the, the different sense and the, the emotions that they can actually bring up. And it's actually something I know a couple of people have tried as well at certain stages during an Ironman event. They've had yeah. different kind of smells or something, or they've, they've had something with them that provides some kind of smell which reminded them of a positive scenario and things like that as well. And that's it's something that's worth investigating a little bit more. Totally. Oh, if someone yeah. put like coffee beans, ground coffee beans under my nose, I'd be like, woohoo! <laughs> totally off topic but the um the idea about the senses there are these sort of necklaces and bracelets now that have beads on them that you can infuse with certain essential oils so if there are certain scents that elicit that positive you could you could create a bracelet which is yeah like lavender's that quintessential calming sense so like before the swim if you can just have a, a nice whiff of lavender who knows that could be a great strategy i've never thought about that before good idea yeah picked you up with this perfumist and she was quite adamant that you could probably do it in lots of kind of endurance events and have different scents at different stages that would promote different kind of positive responses from you physically and depending even depending on um, fatigue levels as well it can actually help manage and, and control mm-hmm. someone else but mm-hmm. It needs a little bit more investigation. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Well, um, I'm happy for people to put their hands up and say, I'll try that and let you know how it goes. So certainly let us know if anyone tries that. Um, talking of senses, I think this is a, a great uh, segue into the different forms of mindfulness or how we can use our different senses to be mindful. So uh, we've spoken about touch, like what does our foot feel like on the ground? Um, there's the, the sense of smell. Um, mindfulness you can use touch um what does the skin feel like uh i do mindfulness with my dog and i just love stroking his hair and looking for like new white or gray hairs or whiskers he's getting old and that's my mindfulness time i don't like sitting in a structured meditation um space or is that very calming for me and that's how i get mindfulness through touch that just works and i think um to open up this idea that we can use those our five senses to do what works for us. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, you, you touched on the point there. Everyone does it differently. And yeah. just because someone says, oh, you need to do it this way, and it, it doesn't work for you, and most people go, oh, I won't bother doing that again. Um, mm. It's actually just finding as it works. So whether it is that is patting your dog, driving your car, or kind of sitting in a yoga pose, that's kind of designed for you to kind of identify what actually works best for, you, for yourself. There isn't a, a prescriptive way. But as you said, it's very much, yeah, use all our senses to start to think about what are those kind of key things and noticing, just noticing slightly different stuff. Uh, so it might be if you're sitting in a room, noticing something in there that you've never seen before. You're sitting on your bike, maybe looking at, oh, I've never noticed the... Uh, some spots on the, on the handlebar hang or something like that, you know, just yeah. so slightly different kind of ways of looking at Or as you said, it's looking for different grey hairs in your, in your dog. <laughs> it's, it, but it's just, again, it's about being conscious of what's going on at that present mm. time. And I said, any of these kind of mental skills, what we really want to use is use as many of the senses as possible. Yeah. Uh, and lots of people use kind of visualisation and just start looking at it. But there's also a sensation that goes, there's that kinesthetic feeling that goes with actually 
start to build positive energy through that. Uh, as I said, using our, our, our smell and taste as well as our hearing, particularly. It's, mm. it's always a nice little sound. You know, when you're flying on the bike and you've got the disc wheel or something on the back, it's just yeah. it's wonderful kind of sound. Well, actually starting to incorporate some of those kind of things while you're actually stop starting to think about your performance. Um, yeah, yeah so having light foot uh, tapping on the ground as, as you move, not not a really hard, heavy mm. kind of thing, but actually really kind of light, and it's just kind of ways just to just to be engaged in what you're what you're doing. Yeah, there's, I'm thinking of so many different ways uh, you could do that. Like in the swim, it's like, what does the water feel like on fingertips, or what does the chlorine smell like? Um, running, what does my breathing sound like? Uh, what does the leaves on the trees and the and the footfall like there's so many different ways that we could bring in mindfulness and um i think it's important that athletes do or focus on what feels good to them and lifts them up not like oh my coach told me to do this so i'm gonna do it yeah yeah definitely and also i wouldn't particularly we're looking at long distance kind of triathlon stuff you can't do it all the time mm. but you can pull yourself back into doing it there were there is times where yes we do need to distract ourselves because trying to concentrate for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 17 hours is impossible. Yeah. Um, but, so, but there's certainly there are certain key periods within those uh, in a kind of a full Ironman distance where you need to really concentrate and be specific, getting mounting the bike, getting mm-hmm. off the bike, some of those kind of things. It's just being really aware and being conscious. So you can do actually a couple of things leading up to those scenarios to just help you be aware of what's going on at the time. Said, yeah, in the swim, might be in the middle of the swim, actually being concentrating on the feel of the water. It's a really nice way to actually start to think about what, what your stroke doing, how, is it, how are you, are you setting the pace even that you want to go at, all of those kind of key things, and, and just being more relaxed and thinking about yourself and kind of letting go of any of the kind of outside influences. Oh, it's, a, it's a choppy day, or it's the wind is bad, or it's raining, or all those kind of different kind of negative potential things actually just concentrating on yourself and what what you are doing yeah it's a great strategy to pull yourself out of your own head and and get out of your own way of of the worry um is coming back to the now and being mindful and you, you mentioned a key word before which was noticing and um which is the key for successful mindfulness is just to notice whatever it is notice it and that brings you into the now but um I think what I find often happens with athletes and, and even myself and they report back is that noticing then leads to judgment. So how do you, um, I guess, help athletes implore that sense of trust and step away from the judgment and just notice and let something simply be? Yeah, it, it's, I suppose it's not a case of trying to overanalyze your body mechanics as you go through these kind of things. It's mm-hmm. being aware of the kind of senses that are going on within you and actually then starting to use that as a stimulus to, uh, to help improve or develop and, and, and push forward. Um, so I said, being able to, to regulate, having those kind of thought processes, being more positive around it rather than thinking, oh, yeah, my arm's in the right place. Oh, I'm not getting that angle right in, in what I'm doing. And... And making that escalate into being worse and worse. The, the whole idea of being able to recognise that then if there is a problem or doing something, well, you can change it to be much more proactive and, and doing something about it. So it's about, I suppose, changing that sense rather than over-analysing what's going on to being proactive about doing something. Well, we can't change things that have happened in the past. Mm. We can actually change 
what's going on. And that might just even be how I respond, how we react, uh, our emotions uh, that go with it. Uh, so rather than seeing something as a, a negative, um, uh, a, a threat to us, maybe we can actually change that around to see it as a bit more of an opportunity. Oh, well, so I'm not doing it now. Well, here's the opportunity I have to develop or improve those kind of things. That's one of the things I spend a lot of time with athletes is actually starting to get them to think about things as opportunities. So this is an opportunity maybe to test myself, or this is an opportunity to see how deep, how far I can, uh, how deep I can dig down into my own kind of reserves or mm. my mental kind of toughness and, and things like that that go along, or how can I push through? Um, and particularly, we, we need these things when things aren't going well. Uh, most of the time, when we're performing at our best. We just do these things naturally and we're just in flow. So true. Uh, it's true. Those days when we have to really kind of grind it out, uh, they're the days when these kind of skills become much more effective. But we can't just rely on doing it on those days. We need to practice and train it. The same as any other physical kind of skill. You have to practice, develop, um, and improve it. Well, if we don't use it, we'll, we'll lose it. Instead, if you don't do something for a long time on a physical skill, we won't be able to do it again. So our mental skills are, are exactly the same. Yeah, which is a great way to find value in hard days, tough days, unmotivated days, days that don't go well, whether they're uh, training days or even race days. Um, there's still value in uh, that difficulty. Yeah, and, and again, learning from that experience. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of times our training days particularly should be more more difficult than our race days. That's the, the yeah. intention. We train harder, we train higher levels and all those kind of different kind of things. Uh, as you said, we might have a bad race day because of something that's happened, whether that's bad nutrition, um, a technical problem. A lot of times things can just happen without us being aware how many times we've been out there and you've just taken a gel and it just hasn't sat properly after taking the same gel and numerous times before it's these things do happen but yeah. then what can we actually learn from that is there something that we could actually change and, and develop uh so what are, are the things that we can learn uh, and then try and remove any of the kind of negative kind of connotations to go with yeah and i find that when an athlete is more mindful they're less likely to make mistakes too uh, whether that's training, pre-race, during race, you know, as they say, setting up their transition if they're doing it mindfully, less likely to, one, be in an anxious state uh, and, two, less likely to forget things. Uh, so if we can go about things mindfully and paying attention, um, yeah, we minimise mistakes. Same with um, nutrition and hydration. I've, I've definitely been guilty of this where I get to a certain point in a race and I'm like... Did I have my fuel half an hour ago? I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> like, because I wasn't paying enough attention. And it's like, oh, did I have that? Am I behind? Am I ahead? And then you get caught up in trying to do the maths and it just doesn't work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I said, you're right. It is it, just being aware of what's going on at that time. It just allows us to make those better decisions about what we're doing. Mm. And I've heard um, plenty of professional athletes talk about racing their own race. And to do that, they need to well, it's the same for age groups really um they need to be mindful of where they're at because if someone's passing them and putting in an effort they need to check in with themselves be mindful of where i'm at what am i feeling can i go and make yeah. quite a quick decision um yeah, anyway, yeah it, and it's important to, to do that as well and i said it, it's been where the full scenarios i said it, it's very much about understanding yourself and where you're sitting but also as you said i 
you mentioned, well, what else is potentially going on and mm-hmm. those who are, are in the, the competitive event or are looking for uh, kind of Kona places or uh, elite level athletes kind of racing for, for winning championships and those kind of things. It, you do actually still need to be aware of, of other things. So where are you positioned? Uh, yeah. I explain, it's pretty easy to explain when I spend a lot of time working with golfers. Yeah. You go to the last round of a major championship and I know there's a number of golfers that don't want to know what the score is. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to know what the scoreboard is. But by understanding what the scoreboard says, you might actually find that you're two or three shots ahead and you're on the last hole, well, there's no point making that risky shot or, or, or trying something that you don't actually need to do. Well, yes, you can drop a shot, but it still doesn't make a difference in, in the overall scheme of things. Yeah. In the same way, yeah, kind of, well, I know if I, I could push my bike or a leg and, and I could go with that other person, but is that going to, what impact is that going to have on me on the run leg? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't potentially know 20, 30 k's down the run, what impact that's going to have. But we can actually make a little bit of a decision then. How do I feel? How is it going to actually influence me? Do I back off slightly here uh, to be able to pick it up later on? Or actually, I'm feeling pretty good. Now I can actually push myself. I feel I've got the confidence to be able to uh, to go and push myself that little further. Yeah, making a mindful decision. Mm. Yeah, as you described earlier, it reminded me of a process I did in the lead up to my first Ironman that, I think I didn't realise at the time what I was doing um, and the difference that it made until it came to race day. So six months out, I recorded a visualisation. So I talked myself through my day. Um, I didn't fluff over the and sort of say that uh, it was all going to be positive and rosy and lovely. It was a visualisation of things going well but still struggling and there being pain and discomfort and and adversity and talking myself through how I would approach that or how I would feel and overcome it. So come race day, I felt like I had already done all of it because I'd listened to this audio for six months of um, I'm exiting the swim, I feel X, I'm at the 30K point of the run and it's hard and I feel X. And it just all came really naturally to me because I'd pre-rehearsed it and I don't think I would have been able to achieve what I did on that day had I not had that. That was pivotal. And I, don't, I honestly, I don't know how athletes do on the, take these big feats on without some mental prep. Yeah, I think it's really important. You said, yeah, we're doing, it's, it's part of that kind of 25%. And it's just kind of planning out our, our, our race day, planning out, thinking about all the different kind of scenarios, different kind of things that go on. So when stress starts to come factor, it's when we feel that we don't have the capability to deal with those demands. Stress itself isn't a problem. Yeah. It's just when we aren't able to deal with those demands, that's when it becomes an issue. Uh, and then what happens in a lot of cases is most people become stressed because they can only see one or two ways of doing things. They've only got one, if I've only got one option to do mm. something, if that doesn't work, then I'm pretty stressed. Stuffed, yeah. But I might have six or seven different actual ways of doing it with it uh, and different approaches, and that makes things a little bit more, um, a little bit easier for me to manage. Um, Sounds like yeah, a... So being aware of those kind of things. So yeah, it's part of that kind of mental prep. It's a really good way to, to start to think about it. Well, yeah, having a having your A plan, A, a plan, B plan. Down to F, absolutely. Plan, yeah. Some of those kind of things. So different people, different kind of approaches, different ways of doing it, different preferences to, to how it is. Mm-hmm. Um but I always think is yeah, starting just to just in your mind. Well, what would you do in some of these kind of circumstances would, would, would help? So yeah, it's kind of 
And, and you bring up a good point because when I ask athletes to prepare some of those things of how will you respond if you get a flat, how will you respond if your goggles get knocked off, how will you respond if you're 10 minutes behind goal time after the swim. And uh, often, uh, one, they don't want to do it because they're like, well, that's so negative. Like you're making me think about all these horrible scenarios and things that I don't want to happen. How is that going to help me? And I think you've, you've just um, alluded to that, that if we prepare for those situations mindfully in the moment, we've already got a response up our sleeve. Yeah, so what's the point in, in putting yourself in that situation Said, so, yeah, come out and swim 10 minutes down and what you're expecting to be and, and, and now I just feel crap for the rest of the day. Mm. I don't have a plan or I don't have a, a strategy to be able to deal with that. I'm now just kind of chase my tail all day rather than actually thinking, well, okay, I know what to do or I can build it back up or how I can kind of progress or, or to do these kind of different kind of things. And again, being aware that there's so many different scenarios that kind of could, could happen, um, that's going to change what happens on the day. So the more familiar or more mindful we are of those different kind of situations, it means it's much easier for us to adapt uh, to what's going on uh, and to help us. So let's think about Busselton as the last year with the, with the shark attack, so he kind of um, stops the water or stops the swim. Um, you kind of, well, yeah, how do you prepare for that? Uh, there's no way. And it actually changes the, the whole process of, of the whole event. Mm. Um, so you then, but actually starting to think about, well, it does happen quite regularly that the swim lane gets cancelled mm, or adjusted. the swim can just be horrible. Yeah. Uh, so you can actually start to think about, well, what would it, how would I approach these kind of different kind of things? And, um, I remember one of the, what was it, um, uh, one of the events they did this year, which, uh, one of the, oh, was it the Olympic distance one, the ones in St. Kilda where the swim lane got cancelled. Duathlon. Mm. Yeah, it became a little bit of a duathlon. And you just kind of went, I saw so many people start that run like, and we're just sprinting. Yeah. And just Would you going, do that? I looked, yeah. I looked at my watch at one stage and I was, I was, thought I was kind of pulling myself back and I was running probably uh, at least 40 seconds quicker per kilometre than I would normally oh. kind of do. And I'm like, I, I can't control this. And yeah. particularly when the lap, there's still a 10K run at the end after I finish this first bit and then the bike and then that. And But, yeah, it's just being aware of actually, well, actually, I need to slow myself down. Otherwise, that's not going to help me later. I'm not going to be able to manage the whole scenario or the whole race. And so, yeah, it's... it's the more we can plan, the more we organise we are, the easier these kind of things become. And the more mindful we can be, then the more adaptable, the more willing we are to change, uh, think about scenarios slightly differently, start to think about ourselves. And, and rather than waiting for my coach or someone to tell me what I need to do, mm-hmm. I'm actually make, able to make those changes myself. I'm able to start to think about, well, in this scenario now, I can't get help from anyone else. What can I actually do about it? And that's, that's one of the real key, keys for this. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken a fair bit about uh, race scenarios, but these skills transfer to daily life and daily training environment uh, as well. You know, you, you practice mindfulness in training and that skill, say, for the purpose of racing, but then there's this beautiful flow-on effect to life as well when things don't quite go to plan. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, lots of these skills are, are quite transferable. Um, they're easy, as I said, they're easy enough to implement in some of the things that we do. We, we talked about strategies before about things your athletes can do. I know one of the things uh, I work a little bit with people is being mindful eating. 
Yeah, great just idea. Just sit down and have a meal. It's actually starting to think about the foods that you're eating and just savoring the flavors and starting to think about it. It's a really simple way to actually start this process and kind of actually chewing and thinking mm. about it as opposed to just wolfing it down as we tend to do because we just need to get more and more calories into us because we've been training harder and harder. It's actually spending that little bit of time being, being conscious about what we're eating and the tastes and the flavors and all those different things. That was one of my questions for you, like where can an athlete best start? And I think that's a great place to start. We're all eating every day, multiple times. Uh, So if, you know, throughout that meal, there's just one minute as a starting point of attention to what that tastes like and um, how many um, chews that you're taking. And if you've listened to other episodes on the podcast, that's a a constant theme for the benefit of nutrient assimilation and gut health. So, um, you, you know, you're being mindful, you're de-stressing, but you are also helping, uh, your nutrition and wellness status at the same time. So I think that's a great place to start and, you know, foods that enjoy, like not just a hoe in and then go, Oh, how did that get in there? (laughs) My plate's empty. When did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of how many times do we do it? And just kind of go, oh, just, oh, I've lost or I've just kind of wolfed down. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't taste that or didn't flavor it. And then I, and then I think, oh, I need to eat more mm-hmm. as a result of it because I, I feel like I haven't eaten anything as yet. But I'd rather than actually spend that time to just, it's a simple way to, send it, to savor it. And, and so there's a whole lot of other, other kind of physical benefits. There's a huge amount of benefits in some of these kind of things from a mental health perspective as well. And if we look at society now in, in terms of, trying to manage mental health issues, um, just being mindful is, is, is just one simple thing that we can actually do for ourselves uh, that can really benefit in, in that scenario. Yeah, because a lot of stresses in life aren't in our control and or there's not anything we can do about it right in that moment. And I think that's where mindfulness can be really powerful uh, to step outside of the worry and, and you can't create a solution right in that moment, but it just allows you to sit with it, accept it, and just be, um, rather than fight it. I use the tug of war analogy with emotions. What's that? What's it from? The Happiness Trap. Um, what's his yes. name? Um, great book recommendation. What's the author's name? Russ. Ah, uh, probably now off the top of my head. Mm, no. Anyway, the book is called The Happiness Trap, and there's this concept around. Um, uh, allowing emotions to just be rather than playing tug of war with them and i describe that as dropping the rope rather than pulling on the rope um and that's how i've kind of learnt mindfulness with emotions and there's another one actually is a little pen talk uh, yeah. it's called how to be brilliant every day mm-hmm. and it actually talks about the different kind of responses that we have from using our emotions and, and uh, our, our bodies are ways of trying to understand some of those kind of things and how that then influences our actions or reactions uh, to different scenarios and things like that as well. It's, that's well worth a, a watch too. Yeah. All right, so, we'll link to that. Good idea. All right, very cool. Um, so if someone's starting point is to spend a minute or so noticing and chewing their food and, and they get into that and they're getting into a habit of just noticing and being more mindful um what's the next step how do you, what would be the next level to go to after that a lot of people actually work that out for themselves they'll kind of identify oh right actually I, I need some help or i need some more information or some education around how to do this or how to do that so mm-hmm. it's really interesting how it kind of starts to snowball from starting to do little bits 
Yeah. Um, as I spend just trying to spend a lot of time with athletes, and actually just getting them to, to think about their performances, uh, spend, then spending a bit more time in terms of developing up their even their visualization skills. Uh, mm. I think it's one of the kind of key things we can actually start to do, which helps us on this. And I said, starting to try and use all of our senses as we go through it. So, uh, yeah, while well, I do mindful, it might be easy for me to well, thinking about food to actually potentially think of the flavors and the taste, and like I can get the. Um, the saliva starts to come and, the, and everything is mouth starts to um, imagine myself eating and, and chewing on those kind of foods. And, but yeah, the more of those kind of things that we actually start to build in, the, the more effective it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and then as I said, I think it's really, what's really important for, for athletes is to start to think about when they're doing some of those kind of visualization, those kind of mental skills uh, kind of aspects, is making sure that we do it right. Mm-hmm. There's lots of times that we can start to, oh, I visualize myself doing something and then we'll get it wrong. Mm. Uh, I actually stop that kind of thing. I actually try to make sure we have really vivid, controllable images that are correct. We are doing, we want to see our successful performances. Because um, we know as well, one of the key things in terms of developing that kind of self confidence is being able to see ourselves doing it. Uh, so being able to, uh, if we can see ourselves doing it, whether that's either using a video or something or yeah. whether it's using some visualization and kind of exercises, that's actually going to have the most benefit for us. And well. that doesn't come naturally to everyone. For me, it does. And um, I'm grateful for that. But I recognize that that's not an innate skill for people. And I think that's where someone like yourself comes in handy big time um, to learn that skill. Yeah. As I said, it's about understanding and, and, and guiding yourself through the process and, and there's going to be days even the, the people who are best at it are going to have days when they'll struggle oh yeah uh, and there's other times when it's just in flow and it's it's there are a couple of as you said there's a couple of kind of just just little things you can just take your time out if you're struggling with some of these kind of processes that well let's go back to the basics and just start do a little bit of mindful eating so it's a simple way to actually go through it um but yeah it's very much about starting to become aware of all those different kind of scenarios that you come in uh, i think for me yeah then that kind of pre-planning, right? Well, what would happen in this scenario? What, or, or even ask yourself, what, what other options do I have? Yeah. Um, so, all right, so this happened during my training session. If I was in that scenario again, what would I do? Would I do this? Yeah, potentially, I'd do the same thing again because it was right. Maybe yeah. I just need to be a bit more effective in how I did it or I could be a bit more efficient in some kind of technical component. Or maybe I need to start to think about, well, is there other things that I need to try? Maybe there is, I need to spend more time doing strength work. I need to do more time uh, doing some core work or something. Yeah. Um, but actually starting to think about, well, so that's what I did last time. Would I do it again? And if yes, could I make it any better? Yeah. Or if not, well, actually, no, there's things I need to be different. Well, what are those other things? What are those options that I have for myself to be able to be more effective? And who do I need help from to make that happen, for example? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, mm, what yeah do I need pretty to much know? so. Starting to, start to look at who it is and who might be the best people, kind of people to, to kind of come through and, or might just be able to find me a, a little bit of advice. Um, I said when you start looking at mindfulness, just be a bit careful about what you're reading. There's a few kind of nice, really well, pretty uh, <laughs> websites which talk about lots of stuff, but they actually give you a lot of crap information. And okay. Again, starting to be a little bit more... Um, not just taking everything for what it is, but actually, as I said, trialing different kind of approaches as well and actually work, finding out what's worked best for you. I'm just thinking as we talk, you know, there's there's so many um, psychological barriers to uh, achieving optimal performance and self-sabotage and um, negative mindset and um, 
there's all these thought process barriers which I think take quite a lot of time to uh, retrain the brain to uh, put into a positive context. But since having this conversation, I'm thinking that mind, if mindfulness comes first, um, we bypass the urgency to fix all those negative thought processes and patterns. Like, yes, we need to work on those as an evolution and a big picture, but I'm feeling like if we focus on mindfulness first, it brings us into the moment and we can step away from um, those negative thought processes that might be hindering us without necessarily fixing that poor belief pattern that we've got. Definitely. And it's one of those kind of things you'll probably look at things or anything that we do, there's probably five or six different things that you need to fix or need to change yeah. or and actually by identifying what the one one or two perhaps key things that you can actually start to do uh, and you'll find that then that, yeah, has a flow-on uh, effect on everything else. And, yeah, by just becoming, as I said, a little bit more aware of some of those kind of situations that we find ourselves in, I've said it where a lot of times we'll, yes, we mightn't completely remove those kind of negative thoughts that go on, but mm. we're able to recognize them much quicker. And then by able to recognize it much quicker, we're able to do something about it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's trying to, as I said, use on some of these kind of things as a, as a tool. Uh, so I don't, in terms of my approach from kind of applied sports psychology kind of perspective, it's, it's using different tools that kind of come out of a kickback. And a lot of times you'll find, right, that's probably the most effective for this thing in, in this scenario. Yeah. Uh, but if that doesn't work, there's two, three, four, five different kind of things, different kind of approaches. But you said, yeah, being, being self-aware, being able to self-regulate are some of the key underlying principles with all of these kind of things as well. Yeah, self-regulation. Whether or life or a career mm. or a business or whatever it's going to be, yeah, they're some of the most important things. Yeah, self-regulation is, is key to respond to adversity. We, we, you know, life isn't always going to be perfect. So, yeah, yeah. very good it's, point. It's, it's even having that confidence to ask someone for help. Yeah. You know, recognizing actually I'm, I'm struggling here. I, I maybe need to go and speak to someone. It might be a specialist, it might just be a friend or a family member, or it might be the dog just to get the dog in chest. Uh, but it just might be, I just need to do something about it. I shouldn't laugh. I talk to my dog all the time. Yeah, so do I. We have good chats while we're out running. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd like you to tell um, listeners a bit about what you do with athletes from a sports psychology um, perspective and how they might be able to seek you out for some support or advice or um, some resources? Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've kind of developed mine a little bit. So I specialise in using uh, sports hypnosis techniques. So it's not like a stage show where I'm not going to be <laughs> cut off clucking like a chicken or anything like that. It's much more about using lots of these kind of techniques that we talk about, lots of relaxation exercises, lots of guided imagery uh, kind of work. Uh, to help break down limitations, build confidence, um, to give more control over what you're doing. Uh, and I said, so some of the, the real benefits I find by, by using hypnosis, we're able to distract that kind of conscious part of our brain uh, and work with our, our subconscious and be able to implant kind of either direct suggestions or um, a little kind of metaphor work to help people kind of develop and improve what they're doing. Uh, so there's certain things that we can actually start to to do in there as we talked about being able to uh, embed things that we know are going to happen let's talk about yeah, that 30 kilometer marker post mm. on the run like we know we're going to see that so we can embed kind of confidence and feeling positive feelings as we go through Red. 
Yeah, so I do a lot with the colour red. It's the same way you were talking about having song lyrics on your um, drinks bottles. It's the same way when you see that colour red, it, we can actually embed those kind of real positive kind of feelings of control. Um, uh, really any kind of positive kind of energy that, that goes with it, or that kind of self-belief that you can do certain things. Um, I also spend quite a bit of time working on, uh, I suppose, Real fears, kind of particularly when they work with with triathletes, either new people in triathlete that that fear of open water swimming mm-hmm. and actually breaking down some of those kind of fears. We know a lot that any kind of fears or apprehensions are uh, generally associated with some kind of memory. So we can actually remove that kind of negative association there, but keep some of the learnings from it. So we're a bit more aware of, of what's going on with some of those circumstances. Or as I said, well, yeah, even when we're getting up to, to higher-end competitive uh, elite-level athletes, start to, to think about that transition from bike to run and being able to maintain um, running capacity as they go through so that's kind of how i use kind of hypnosis kind of work and i just find it gets me quicker and better results than uh general kind of sports psychology and and primarily because i can switch people's minds off and and we can we can embed what we're doing um so that's kind of what it is i work i've got a normally work in melbourne on mondays in, in smith street uh, so you'll be able to find me. My website is mesh, you know, M-E-S-H-H-Y-P-N-O.com. So it's Melbourne Endurance Sports Hypnosis. So anyway, I'm quite happy to, to answer any kind of questions. Or, uh, um, send me some contact submissions on there if you want more information about it or anything that we've kind of talked about. I'm, I'm quite happy to, to talk about this in a lot more detail. Like I said, it's a, the mental side of sport is something that's completely up underplayed uh, mm, so we don't do anything about it but it's the same as, it, as I said any kind of physical skill we need to train our minds to, uh, to develop and be able to, to be comfortable in these scenarios mm, and I think it's something the elites would do but I feel that this is important for uh, age groupers and, and non-athletes too um, to implore into their daily life so a whole range of people so yeah I'll get from people who are very first time into it uh, mm. people I think they originally started doing this mostly people who run half marathons and wanted the confidence to go to a full marathon yeah. uh, and not any way competing at mm. high levels of that so very much from a, a recreational kind of perspective just feeling any kind of confidence um, development so what I said yeah so whether that's your first or second or your fifth time of doing uh, any kind of triathlon or endurance type of activity or whether it's you're up there trying to compete because I said for common spots there's always things that you can actually start to develop and improve as yeah. amazing well thank you so much for your time uh, you've been very generous and I'll link uh, to the TED talk and a few resources and obviously your website for people to get in touch sounds good thanks very much thanks Fraser